Business Rap. Business Rap of the Day. On Metro FM Talk with Ayabonga Trawe. 16 minutes it is before 8pm and we take a look at uh, the uh, top business stories that are moving markets at the start of this new week and uh, helping me to do this uh, as we do every Monday. Snesipo Maninjwa, Independent Analyst, Market Commentator and CA and she joins me now on the line. Snesipo, good evening to you. I certainly hope you had a good weekend. Yes, I did. January is over. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I certainly think that you join many others uh, who have uh, the same level of excitement and uh, who are quite happy with the relief that came with Ezomalism uh, Genileo over the last few days or so. <laughs> yeah. That being said, Snesipo, the big, uh, I guess, uh, centerpiece of much of uh, the news that came through today in the marketplace was the mining in Daba and uh, some of the uh, remarks made by the Minister of Energy. And I want us to maybe start here and give this uh, a particular issue a bit more time than maybe some of the other stories I want us to take a look at. But Gwede um, Mandashe here really making, I guess, uh, two large related announcements. One, that uh, mining houses can now generate uh, their own power without getting permission uh, from the authorities. But also, two, uh, that uh, the state now also wants to uh, make a play for uh, the generation game. And uh, more importantly, I guess, uh, this might open and, uh, the path for uh, maybe a state-owned renewables company. What's happening here? Firstly, Malum So Malum started uh, op- did the opening address today at the mining in Daba. As you know, a large, a large risk factor for mining operations is security of supply, specifically electricity. Mm. Because of how mines operate, when we have load shedding um, and we're taken out, let's say, for two hours, mines, because of the dangers of mining specifically underground mining, and not so much open cost, but underground mining, you can't give it to our waiting. So if they know they're going to be low they tend to be off for a majority part of the day. Mm. Now, in periods of high resource prices where the guys, the platinum guys, are experiencing right now, is that that starts hurting your bottom line. So security supply is a very, very big thing. So last year, a group of the Mining Council, Busa, and everybody and their mother basically said that due to its inability to supply electricity, that they would look at procuring their own um, electricity. And as such, they would look at their options. Um, remember we talked about, I think we talked about it in, in your previous in our, in your previous job, you've got Orion Minerals, which is developing the zinc operation yes, in Northern Cape, yes, looking Northern Cape, yeah. You've got Sibania, which has already gone as far as selecting an IPP. You've got Anglo Plat, which is in the process of procurement. You've got various other large players because, you know, it hurts their bottom line at the end of the day. Mm. Now, the problem with Malum uh, Gwizi's statement is that last year the integrated resource plan came out Mm. and it basically allowed for own generation because we understand where we are but it made a caveat with the own generation which stated that the um, own generation in anything in excess of two megawatts would need we need approval from NERSA NERSA and and the reason why for approval people like to think of regulation as being it's a power plant. You can't just be building those things left, right, and center with them. Justin J. Justin J. Like, let us be honest. And then also, um, and then also, anything above ten megawatts would require something called a mis- ministerial dispensation. Mm. And then 
in aggregate, you would uh, there be a limit in the quantum. In the integrated resource plan of 2018, the annual quantum was 500 megawatts. The one that was finalized in 2019 didn't specifically put a number to it, but the understanding that it was going to follow the same um, thoughts and process of 500 megawatts. Mm. The reason being is that you've got to protect ESCOM. And this is my argument. I think you saw me um, tweet about it, which was the simple fact is that if you allow, and this is what I think, if you open the gates of generation, I know I sound controversial when I say this, you are killing ESCOM's business. You are going to create a 20 billion rand hole in ESCOM's revenue. Especially with these large users, Nesip. I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm saying, you know, if you you have one of these major guys uh, or even... You know, let's leave aside the mines. I mean, I think of some of the smelters. If you have one smelter saying, look, I'm going to go set up my own, you know, a wind operation or solar operation or whatever generation capacity, uh, that that means, you know, the revenue on, on ESCOM side is set to take a massive knock. Let me, let me give you a numbers. A single smelter around Vitbank side, into Malanga, pays ESCOM circa a billion rand. If three yeah. of those guys decide not to pay ESCOM... Is that a year? Yeah, a year. A billion rand. No, the ESCOM, they both are huge. And they actually pay ESCOM. They actually pay ESCOM. No, no, not the band. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Let me get into this because um, this is where my speciality lies. It's not just a band. Sure. If you go to ESCOM's top five centers, there are VMC Munis, Sitalagua A's, Piously State, then you've got Northern Cape, you've got KZA, you've got Eastern Cape, Pumalanga. All these municipalities are not paying ESCOM. Mm. And now you're asking, because these are large intensive users, are direct ESCOM clients. That's why I say they actually pay. So when they don't, no, let me just give you numbers. This is why I don't understand Malungwede speech. If you allow just 20 of them to go on, that's 20 billion rand of ESCOM revenue gone. ESCOM still has the same expenses. ESCOM still has the same debt profile. ESCOM is still not getting money from the municipalities. Because remember, it's easy to say to Abandu, no, let's blame Soweto. Guys, how many years? Just as Soweto happens to be the biggest one, but it is not the total size of the mm, pie. That's true. It's not the total size of the pie. And what you're doing is, and there's a thing is that although, and the second argument about the state entering the renewable energy again, ESCOM doesn't have the balance sheet to get to anything. That's why they're looking at private-public partnership. I mean, here's the question I have for you. With just, uh, I guess, the, the picture that you're painting here and, uh, you know, the, the, the ripple impact that, that this might have on ESCOM, I'm sitting here wondering why then the uh, Department of uh, Energy would, would take this kind of route. Is it on the back, I guess, of you know, pressuring from the mining lobby. I mean, I saw Mkoli um, Simkojo and uh, the guys at the Minerals Council calling for this even, uh, you know, prior to the start of the mining in Daba, even before, you know, Gwede Mandasha made some of these remarks. Uh, is this an outcome of really intense lobbying by some of those in the mining sector? And if so, uh, is it really, I guess, uh, a very narrow inconception here because there's a much, much, uh, much, much more at stake here than just, I guess, the future of mining operations? Um, so, oof, okay, I love and don't enjoy it. But, you know, in Zara, they've got their own interests. So, you know, they, they have a renewable energy company. So, yes, hey, yes, people yes, yes. people are protecting their own interests. I'm going to because I think I don't want to get into arguments with people. That is the problem when you have mining and energy in one portfolio. Because you are subject to two different lobby groups. Mm. That is the problem, fundamentally a problem. It's a structure of conflict. They shouldn't be 
one. And the reason why, and I don't think people can appreciate the technology and the time required. Remember, the RFI closed last week, um, Friday. The RFI, where they requested to find out who can build a power plant in the next 12 to 18 months. So that was, for me, I think, was the right step in terms of finding out what short-term capacity, if they were to go to the market today, mm. isn't actually there. I thought that was the right decision to do because, for me, there's a specific process to it. And it, 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 does, it does solve quite a thing because, as you know, solar has now gone into, um, it's now gone into effectively being cheaper than ESCOM only on standard Still not as cheap during all peak time because mm. no one is cheaper than ESCOM during that time. But, you know, it, it's for me, that was a very logical process of doing it. But at the same time, I think people like to, in fact, we'd like to solve problems in isolation without sure. looking at the environment. And it is, and this is the thing with political leaders. Sometimes I think they forget that the under, underlying legislative and regulatory process is already underway. Mm-hmm. within the system because when he said oh, you guys don't need a license I was like oh, come on I, I you for me. <laughs> he talks in black and white you no. need literally says special ministerial dispensation <laughs> and and also when we talk about energy and energy and I, I, I understand where the miners are coming from like some of my clients are miners so I understand where they're coming from but at the same time you cannot be cannot be selfish. We are in a collective mm-hmm. problem because sure. at the end of the day, Eskrim, Mazoya, back to Nursa, and they're going to go back to Kulam and they're like, you guys took away our clients. And remember, you know, they're, in court, they're in court at the moment with Nursa about that multi-year determination and uh, that clearing account. So, yeah, I think I think in my view, this is really going to set uh, the way not only for much greater policy uncertainty, but even a bit more tension between uh, a NERSA, the Department of Energy, the DPE, and even ESCOM. But Snezba, I want us to, to maybe pause on that one for a bit, and uh, certainly something we're not going to be speaking about for the last time here on the Metro FM Talk. I want us to take a look at uh, you know uh, what came out of Tonga today. Now, they saw their uh, trading suspension lifted today, and um, uh, uh, it seems... It wasn't uh, the kind of welcome that they were expecting in the marketplace. Of course they were welcoming it. Uh, one thing is exactly, remember, Tongot, remember, Tongot did what the evil thing, which was what the board did. And I still think there's some heavily unethical practice of holding suspension because you're trapping shareholders in a loss-making situation because they can't move. Mm, so you're saying it actually disadvantages some of the shareholders to have... Yes, you know, that's, why they, all that's yeah. why they all sold. That's why they sold. Because remember, they've been wanting to get out of that thing for how long, and they haven't had the opportunity until now. Remember, the town guards were like, hey, guys, we have this possible misstatement, but we're not going to release financials. Freeze. It mm. was, there's, mm. there's a level of ethical, I think, at some point, not now, but at some point, you need to debate the ethics of that yeah. decision. Yeah. Because yeah. it did prejudice shareholders. For me, it does prejudice shareholders, and it shouldn't have been allowed. Because if you do a comparison and contract to Steinhoff, to Steinhoff, Steinhoff was allowed to fall. Spectacularly so. Yes, it was allowed to, mm. because, because the truth be told is that you need to give shareholders an opportunity to exit. NTN, when they had Daniel Scandal, was allowed to fall. Why did these guys, and for me, that's a thing. I, I, I honestly, like I said, I question the ethics of the decision mm. because you do not allow shareholders and then you just release all your bad news. You haven't gone after anyone legally. All you kept saying is that we have submitted everything. You refuse to release the full uh, findings of the, um, the forensic audit. 
you, uh, you know, you've got people who've been making who make me for a former CEO who was there for four decades plus. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like I said, I question the ethics of that decision making. Sure. I sure. personally believe that if the market needs to, if we're truly in a free market system, this is just one of the consequences. If you have committed, there is a misstatement. You need to allow shareholders to exit those who choose to elect because people are still mm. buying sign up chairs. Yeah, because so the information is material. I mean, if you, yes. if it's quite clear now that there's some you know, nefarious things that have been happening, you know, let people vote with their feet. Yes, I, honestly, like I said, people want free market systems when it doesn't hit their balance sheet. Let's, let's talk about somebody else now who uh, was famed for materially misstating the numbers, cooking the books. Um, and really, I guess, being a corporate raider of sorts here. Uh, telecoms cowboy uh, Bernie Ebbers, uh, who uh, until fairly recently had been jailed uh, for uh, one of the largest corporate frauds and accounting scandals in the U.S. He passed away uh, earlier on uh, over the last 24 hours or so at the age of 78. Uh, what do we know about this guy? And uh, more importantly, I guess, um, you know, uh, what happens in countries that actually act on uh, some of the impropriety that we see in the corporate sector? So as you know, he was jailed in circa 2005, 2006, around there. So he'd been in jail for over just 14, 15 years. Mm. Um, he was the world comp scandal. It was the first scandal I'd ever seen. I think that's what made him become account- an accountant, actually. Really? Okay. Yes. Yes. I, I thought it was scandal. Enron, man. <laughs> no, remember, he had world comp, he had Enron, yes, he had yeah. all of these things coming Arthur up. Arthur Anderson. Watched- what is the other? Yeah, Arthur yes. Anderson. Mm. Yes, you know, former KPMG, Arthur Anderson, yes, yes those yes. people, those ones. So it made, like, for me, it, it piqued my interest in this whole thing. It was actually, um, one of the things I appreciate about the U.S. stream, not to say they're the best at it, they understand the concept of jailing those who lie to investors. Mm, mm. We should learn that thing. And the truth be told is that, um, so he only got released a couple of weeks ago because, and, and he died immediately after it was under medical parole. And he died, you know. You know, we should also practice that. When someone is given medical parole, they actually die. That is the point of it. They actually, you know, we don't, they are not still alive and kicking. No, I honestly think the U.S., um, I'm not saying the perfect justice system, but Mm. this is one thing I appreciate. This guy was a multi-billionaire. And they were like, we don't care that you are a multi-billionaire. You lie to investors. You cause people to lose pension fund value. Like, you need to actually go to jail. Hmm. Don't you like, wish they, don't you wish we'd do a bit more of that here? Guys, and at this point I'll just be happy. Sabo Marcus, so Sabo Marcus. You know? Because really, I mean, you know this guy's probably sitting on some ranch there with his horses, you know, uh and really I mean you know, if, if we really put it, you know, in the bigger scheme of things, I mean, this guy placed not only the, the fortunes of many well-heeled investors, but even many working people uh, whose life savings are invested in that entity. And, uh, you know, he did the kind of thing that landed this guy, Bernie Ebbers, in jail. Uh, M. Dala in jail. I mean, I, I don't think the system really cared that, you know, this guy was getting older uh, or that, you know, he was, a, as you say, a multi-billion uh, a rand owner. They made it very clear that, look, you lie to investors. This is the fate that uh, befits you. Now, think about it. Even Martha Stewart comes from lines, from jail, from lines in business. They don't play mm. games in the U.S. about this thing, and they shouldn't. And it's, it's something that, you know, like I said, it's not. I'm not saying they're the best, um, they're the best uh, justice system, but this principle of jailing those, even if they're wealthy, they will go to jail. 
This guy, remember, and like he had been petitioning, I just want you to understand if you read the story, he had been petitioning for the past 18 months yes. to get on medical parole. Yes. And they were like, hi, 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 hi. And what's funny, hi. they say for an undisclosed, undiagnosed condition. I'm like, great. Yes, and that's the thing. And that's the thing. Like, I'm actually, you know what? You know what? Uh, like I said, not perfect. Not perfect. Mm. But for me, I think the prim- I think where we need to get to in South Africa from a justice perspective sure. is the concept and the principle of jailing those regardless of their social and economic Definitely. class. Because right now, justice is only uh, only imparted on those with who uh, don't have the bank account. You know, justice is only for those, you know, petty crimes. Uh, if you go and uh, you steal fuggies in Dopanzku blouse and uh, you do all manner of other things, justice will come to you. But I mean, if you're one of the very well-heeled and rich people in this country, it uh, seems at times to be very elusive. Snezi, but before I let you go, uh, let's take a look at some of those manufacturing numbers that came through for January. Uh, I mean, what clues, if any, does this give us um, about um, the state of health of the real economy in South Africa? But more importantly, uh, that Q1 uh, GDP number, which uh, I think many people are going to be watching very closely. Uh, it basically said the Q1 GDP number is going to be fire flames. It's, it's not looking good. Um, so remember, let's let's start. Let's take a pause back. So you had producer price inflation come out, which showed a negative increase. Yes. Basically, that should have been sign number one of that uh, it's going to be a difficult. You've also got our trading account deficit. You've got all of this for me says, ah, that GDP number is not going to be looking good. And it's literally just a reflection of the state of the economy. Mm-hmm. The, about what is, what is, we are not growing. We are now at negative growth. You add the fact that structurally the economy is not growing. Add the fact that we don't have umbane. And, you know, it's real. And every, almost on a weekly basis, uh, Aya, we're hearing about people doing retrenchments, 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 retrenchments. So for me, it is just, it's one of those things that are just happening. And it's a function. It, it, it keeps happening. It's flowing through. And it's just more bad news. Sure. For me, this should uh, give also a shock. But as you know, so is forever shocked. He's forever shocked. And they need to be decisive. Action they need to be taken. And I, I, I just don't think that we're at the point where the bad news mm. for our ruling party, they view it as a crisis. Because I view it as a crisis. Because for me, the minute I see these numbers, it means Q1 GDP, more retrenchment means sure, sure. higher social economic ills. Higher social economic ills means more crime. Mm. As if Plung has paid. And Snesipo, I think uh, we're going to have to continue to be the harbingers and the deliverers of bad news until maybe somebody listens. We'll have to yeah, leave it there. Yeah, I hope so. They must call me. They must call me. We'll have to leave it there. Always a pleasure catching up with you, Snesipo. Snesipo Maninjwa is an uh, independent uh, analyst and market commentator and CA and uh, helping us uh, take a look at uh, some of the uh, stories that are moving markets uh, at the start of this new week.